Good morning. It's good to see all of you. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab it and make your way to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, if you're a guest with us, uh, pretty much the way we roll at Providence is something that we, that's called expository preaching, which is where we just grab the Bible and we make our way through it, verse by verse, usually about a paragraph or a couple paragraphs at a time, start at the beginning, go to the end of the book, and then we pick another book, and I don't spend too much time picking a book. People are like, how do you pick a book? I just pick one, because it's all God's Word, and it's all profitable for teaching and training and correcting and rebuking. Uh, for training a man in righteousness, right? So that's what we do. So Luke chapter 4, and if my math is right, which can be sketchy sometimes, but if it is right, this is somewhere around my 270th sermon that I've ever preached. Um, And that, that is including the four that I preached standing on a cooler at Owl Creek Park in the summer of 2008. If you count those, those were sermons five, six, seven and eight in my career. Sermon number four was um, on a Sunday night at Tuscombe Hills Baptist Church. Uh, And my first ever sermon, though, was at the little uh, country church that I grew up in, a little Cumberland Presbyterian church in Bartow County. Um, And I I didn't have a call to the ministry or anything like that. I hadn't, that hadn't happened. The idea of of going into pastoral ministry was not a blip on the radar. Um, That was the last thing I would have ever thought about, but I was in college, and the Lord had gotten a hold of my life after a couple of years of, of not being the center of my life, and uh, it was graduation Sunday for um, some, for the high schoolers, and so this little church of about 60 or 70 people asked me if I would preach that day, and, and I did, and while I can recall most sermons that I've ever preached, in the Lord's infinite mercy and grace, He has helped me to completely forget that one. I have no memory of that sermon whatsoever. The only thing that I do remember about it is that uh, I went longer than the normal preacher did, so that's pretty much commonplace today as well. Some things never change. So, uh, But I forgot pretty much everything. It was probably a disaster, most uh, first uh, sermons are. Uh, but what we have before us today in Luke chapter 4 is Jesus' first ever sermon, and it's was not a disaster. For the people, it was. But for the Word of God, it was not. I mean, it was an absolute doozy of a sermon. Not because the congregation liked it. Because, in fact, they hated it. They hated it. They hated Jesus after this. They want to kill Him. He incites a riot. So so I've preached some bad sermons, but I've never incited a riot. Jesus incites a riot here with an amazing sermon. And so this morning, we're just going to kind of look at that. It's got a couple of these uh, drop-the-mic moments. Like That's become kind of a phrase today. Somebody says something really profound and, you know, drops mic or whatever. You'll see that on social media and stuff like that. They're like, drop the mic. Jesus has two of those in this sermon. Two just things that are so profound, it's like you could drop the mic and just kind of walk off stage. People's minds are whirling. Did he really just say that? And so we're going to look at two of those things. One of them is about Jesus in particular. He's making a statement about himself. And one of them is about us. And really, like if you're beginning to read the Bible on your own or anything like that, that's a good way to study Scripture. What does this passage say about God? 
what does this passage say about me? That's a great way to, when you're examining Scripture, look at it yourself. What does it say about God? What does it say about me? And that's really all we're going to do with this text this morning out of Luke chapter 4. And so let's, uh, let's read it again. Christy read the bulk of it just a second ago, but I want to I read it again as we make our way through. Luke chapter 4, we'll start in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he's, he's earned a bit of a reputation, all right? He's, a, he's an itinerant preacher. He's got a little bit of a reputation. Words going out about him. A report has gone out about him. And he, Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. That's where he was raised. And as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, just real quick, what was Jesus' custom to do on the Sabbath day? Go to church. He went to the synagogue. All right, He went to the church. He gathered with God's people. And think about this from Jesus' perspective. Imagine how many average to really bad sermons he heard. Right? I mean, he's a guy who's at the, the age of 12 is in Jerusalem talking with like the lead priests of all of Judaism. And then he goes out to little Podunk Nazareth, which is about 100 or 200 people in population, not synagogue, population. And so his knowledge of the scriptures is far beyond that of his priests. Far beyond what his priests knew. And so Jesus could have thought, I don't need this. I can commune with God so much better on my own. I'll just go off. I'll just do my own thing. But no, no, no. He gathered with God's people for corporate worship as was his custom. And so if going to public worship was good enough for Jesus, then it should probably be a priority for us as well. And I know I'm saying this to those who are present. I get that. But you know people who aren't present. And we have a covenant one with another to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, but to continue to do that. And we, we don't, you know, we don't gather like when we make church a priority, it's not based upon consumerism. Go where they got the best religious products and services, the best programs and the best preaching and the best music and the best this and the best that and the best this. You go where the the, the preaching is faithful to the Bible that's not too far from your home and where you can serve. Gather, grow, serve, go. Right? That's what Jesus did. That's what we do. Let's get back to it, though. That was kind of a, an aside. I'm going to have a couple of those today. Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So they didn't have chapters and verses, right? That came in 1,500 years later. So he's got to know like exactly in this giant scroll. where what, He's got to know it that well that he knows where he wants to get to. And here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Drops mic. He just told them, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you've been waiting on. I am this man. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And that word anointing there has the connotation in the Old Testament of Messiah, of Messiahship. This is who I am. And so drop the mic statement number one in your notes. is Jesus is the Messiah. All right? He is clearly taking this messianic prophecy out of Isaiah 61 and saying it's been fulfilled. There's no more waiting. I've come. I'm this guy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. So Jesus is preaching, get this, he's preaching the gospel of himself. He's preaching the gospel of himself. And he's come to proclaim, you see that word three times, Jesus is a preacher, proclaim three times. He's come to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed. There's no more waiting. He's here. It's happening right now. And this is as much true today as it was on this day when Jesus spoke these words. Okay, he has come and he has proclaimed this good news. And yes, Jesus absolutely cared for the physical needs of the poor and of the, uh, and of the blind and of captives and of the oppressed, and we should too. But more than that, what he is speaking about here is the spiritually poor, the spiritually enslaved, the spiritually blind, and the spiritually oppressed. Jesus is saying that I've come to set you free, to give you sight, to give you liberty. Like as humans, the Bible teaches that we are all slaves to sin. All right? We are slaves to sin. That on our own, we can't but help. To sin. We're in bondage to money. We're in bondage to guilt. We're in bondage to sex. We're in bondage to bitterness. We're in bondage to hatred. And a lot of times these things, like bitterness and hatred, man, all that's doing, that's not hurting the person so much as it's tearing your own soul up. And so to all in the prison house of sin, the truth of Jesus is what we sang a couple of minutes ago. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Charles Wesley wrote that in the 1700s. And when Jesus says or reads oppressed here, what he's talking about is those who've been broken to pieces, those who've been crushed under life's circumstances, who see no way out. Jesus comes to you in mercy, Jesus comes to you in understanding. Jesus comes to you in grace. And he wants to give you liberty from circumstances in the deepest sense of the meaning. Not in the sense of just getting a positive outcome of those. But in the sense of, of liberty and joy that, that cannot be like is not dictated to based upon life circumstances. 
but it's held fast on a rock, on an anchor that holds, on Him and His gospel and His goodness and His faithfulness, even in our faithlessness, even in our questioning, even in our doubts, even in our fears, even in our worries, Christ remains faithful. And so Jesus is saying, He's saying everybody, everybody needs this. Every single person. The poor, the enslaved, the blind, the oppressed, everybody needs this. Because this is who everybody is. We are spiritually poor. We are spiritually enslaved. We are spiritually blind. We are spiritually oppressed. Within the Down Syndrome community, one of the pushes that uh, those of us that are inside of that community are kind of always advocating for, uh, besides trying to end the, the use of the word retard, or even as you, I saw on Facebook yesterday, libtard, right? There's no, you got a better vocabulary than that, come on. You don't need to use that word. But one of the things that we advocate for and, and push for is to, to help people see that people who happen to have Down syndrome are more alike than different. Okay, they're more alike, and all people with special needs are more alike than different. Have their own personalities, have their own desires, have their own goals and dreams and hopes and fears and, and feelings and emotions and souls just far, 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 far more alike than different. And when it comes to the gospel and our need, we are all on the earth far, far, far more alike than we are different. Poor folks need the gospel. Enslaved folks need the gospel. Oppressed folks need the gospel. Captive folks need the gospel. Blind folks need the gospel. We all need the gospel because, again, we are all spiritually poor, spiritually blind spiritually enslaved. We are all sinners. There is not one person in this room who's better than another. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We are all sinners. All of us. Someone's like, yeah, 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 Joe, but you, you, you don't know what this one guy's done. We don't measure ourselves based upon what this other person's done. We don't measure ourselves horizontally. We measure ourselves vertically. We measure ourselves against Christ. That's who our measurement is. And against infinite holiness. Infinite. We all look the same. I mean, it's kind of like when you're flying. Like, you know, Sarah's family's from Colorado. So we, we, have, we fly at least once a year to go visit family. And when you're at 30,000 feet, you can't tell who's driving a Jaguar and who's driving a Jalopy. Against infinite holiness. There is no difference. We are all sinners. And so Jesus just said, I'm the one who's going to fix this. I am the Messiah. I am the one that you've been waiting for. And for just a second, verse 22, the people speak well of him. Just a second. They marvel at his words, it tells us. But then they're like, wait a minute. Is not this Joseph's son? Isn't this, isn't this the boy we watched grow up? Isn't this the guy who played Little League with my kid? 
isn't this, and he's been a carpenter now. He's fixed my table. He's fixed my chair. And now he's sitting here claiming to be the Messiah. Surely, son, you're a little confused. And so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says to them, verse 23, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, which in three years he's going to hear that one from the Sanhedrin. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And so what Jesus is basically doing here is they start talking to him and say, hey, sit down, I'm not done with my sermon. You didn't like what I just said. You're really not going to like what I'm about to say. You're going to wind up rejecting me. I'm not going to be accepted, but that's okay. That's pretty much how it rolls. And, And that's largely, not always, but largely true. Because what happens a lot of times is like you see some guy grow up, and you've seen him grow up, You've seen him from when he was young. And now he's something else. He's grown. And people who've seen him grow now begin to have a really hard time adjusting and humbling themselves and seeing this person now as an authority. Like if you bring in a guy from the outside, there's no question because you didn't see him grow up. You just instantly give him respect and reverence. You know what an expert is, right? Someone from out of town with a briefcase. And so this is what Jesus is you know, experiencing here. It's kind of the old adage, familiarity breeds contempt. Jesus has kind of experienced that. And so Jesus is, is acknowledging it, and he's saying, all right, I know you're not going to accept me, and I know you really didn't like my intro that much. You're really not going to like what I'm about to say. And so verse 25, look at it with me. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. So remember, he just said, uh, I've come to preach to the poor, to the enslaved, to the captive, and to the blind. All right, verse 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many leopards in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. So passing through their midst, he went away. I'm not sure how verse 30 works there, but I kind of envision it like an old uh, foghorn, leghorn, uh, Looney Tunes show where they get in a fight with one another and all of a sudden the smart one steps out of the fight and the other one's still fighting himself and there's just dust. I don't know if that's what happened. That's, that's how I read the scripture. Jesus is like, <laughs> and he just goes on his way. That is, but, um, but seriously though, they're filled with wrath. Such that they don't even let him finish the benediction. They grab him, they drag him out, and they take him to a cliff where they're going to throw him off and kill him. They're going to stone him. There's two ways to stone him. Pelt with rocks. Or throw off a cliff. Both are acceptable. So that's the one that they're going to do. So what could it be? Seriously, as a guy's preaching, what could it be that would incite you to such wrath that you are going to lose your mind, grab the preacher, grab Jesus, take him out of the synagogue to a cliff to kill him? 
What would incite that level of not just out, of not just ah, I don't like this or offense, but wrath? It's because in laying down these two Old Testament examples that Jesus lays down, he just called them on the carpet for their idolatrous ethnic pride and their idolatrous spiritual pride. He basically told them, and moms and dads, forgive me for this, but he basically told them, you think that you are a bunch of hot snot on a silver platter, but you are nothing but cold boogers on a paper plate. More specifically, in, in drop the mic statement number two, he just told them, you are worse than a starving pagan widow and a demon god worshiping leper. That's what he just told these Jewish folks who watched him grow up. You're worse than a starving pagan widow and a demon god worshiping leper. You're worse. So they wanted to kill him. And bringing this down to kind of, you know, a way it can better summarize it for us, if, if you're taking notes, I would just put it like this. We are far more sinful and flawed than we realize. That's true of everybody in here. I don't care if you're like, man, I, I get it. I am a total... No, no, you're worse. Happy Sunday. You're worse. We are far, far more flawed and sinful than we realize. Like the people of Nazareth here, they thought that they, that they weren't spiritually poor. Like Jesus is talking about all these, all these poor and captive and blind and oppressed. And like, we're, not, we're not that. But they're bankrupt. We're not blind, but they're blind to their own blindness. And so as David Gooding comments, to be told that they were spiritually blind, resourceless, and poverty-stricken was bad enough now to be told that they are less wise than these foreigners. And that God would share His grace with people who in their mind did not deserve it. And this incited them to rage. Right? They were absolutely outraged at this. But with the coming of Christ, everybody in here, listen close. With the coming of Christ, ethnocentrism died. Okay? It, it is over. It is, it is over, and any vestige of it is, that's left is sin. Any vestige of it. It attacks the image of God that God places on every single person, and it attacks God's church, the bride of Christ that he's building from, into one people from people from all tribes and tongues and nations and languages that are going to be gathered around the throne in worship of the King. Like, I fully expect, this isn't Scripture, but I fully expect, and I can be proven wrong, but I don't think I'm going to be, I fully expect that when we get to heaven, we're going to worship in a myriad of languages that right now we can't speak, but we will be able to then. Because languages, there, there's no, like, like, culture's a good thing. Genesis, Genesis 1, uh, God gives a cultural mandate. Go build culture. Go subdue the earth. Go have dominion. So I fully believe that we're going to 
worship in all these languages that right now we can't speak. I fully believe that we're going to worship in all kinds of, of musical styles and, and whatnot that right now we might not can sing. I fully think white people are going to get rhythm, which right now is questionable for some folks. And so these cultural differences are going to be celebrated, not whitewashed, and it's just one size fits all. Like, we got the gospel is the gospel, right? Amen? The gospel is the gospel, not the gospel in your culture. The gospel is the gospel, not the gospel in a certain form of culture. That's why I get a little bit irritated when I see people in Asia or in Africa wearing suits, singing southern gospel when it's 100 degrees outside. Don't take our culture. Yes, take the gospel, but not our culture. People can worship in that. They don't wear those clothes normally. They don't. They don't sing southern gospel. So write spirit, theologically rich lyrics, but in an expression that's theirs. Don't take the culture. Don't strap that to the gospel. Just give them the gospel. That's what we're called to do. I mean, if people aren't wearing clothes, yeah, that's maybe something we need to talk about. But, but our call specifically is just to give the good news of Jesus, not the good news strapped to our culture. And this is something we need to hang on to. This isn't just like missionary thought. The nations are coming here. And so as you engage with people from different cultures, we are not trying to make you American. Yes, we're citizens here, but all of us in here who claim the name of Christ, we've got a higher citizenship, and that's Christ. We're trying to give them the gospel. And so Jesus, in this throwdown with these two Old Testament uh, examples that he's given, he is just tap dancing all over their ethnic pride and saying, you've missed it. It's never been about your ethnicity. It is about faith. And as we go through the Gospel of Luke, you see him hammering on this over and over and over and over again. I mean, the story of the Good Samaritan. Who's the hero? The foreigner. When you've got the story of the ten leopards and only one returns, who is it? A foreigner. A Samaritan. All right, It's not about ethnicity. Never has been. Abraham, Abram, was an Iraqi pagan Gentile before God said, you're mine now and we're going to roll this way. About faith. But not only does Jesus attack their ethnic pride, he also attacks their spiritual pride. Their spiritual pride. Because when, when Jesus tells the story of Elijah and the widow, and when he tells the story of Elisha and uh, Naaman, the, 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 the pagan uh, king, the first one is from 1 Kings, the second story is from 2 Kings, right? what Jesus is doing in telling those stories is essentially communicating. <clears throat> He's communicating that decent, moral, heterosexual, tithing, community group attending, ESV, Bible reading, decent, upright, moral citizens in the sight of God are just as needy as the widow and are just as dirty as the leper. That we are all in need of provision. We are all in need of cleansing. Our morality does not do anything for us as it relates to the gospel. It should flow out of, yes, but it doesn't flow this way, like moral Christian. No, 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 no. You are redeemed, and the morality will flow out of that. 
there's going to be a lot of really, 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 really moral good people in hell. Because they never accepted Jesus. And their spiritual pride and good. I'm a good person. I live a good life. I do good things for others. But never accepted Jesus. All about you. And we are all in this world far more alike in our sinfulness than we are different. We are all sinners. All of them. And so Jesus is attacking, specifically, he's attacking their religiosity, their idolatrous spiritual pride. And as religious people often do, they would rather kill Jesus than kill their religion. They would rather hang on to this than grab hold of Christ. And by religion here, I mean, you can use religion and that we're talking, sometimes we'll sing songs, give me that good old religion. Get, I don't think we sing that one, but you've probably heard it. And by that terminology, we're meaning Christianity. But when I'm saying religion right here, here's, I, here's what I mean. Religion has the mindset, religion's about what, what you do for God. But the gospel is about what God does for us. Religion is about how you earn a right standing with God. And the gospel is about how Jesus gives us a right standing with God. It's a gift. Religion is about you becoming very proud of your performance. And the gospel is about becoming very proud of Jesus' performance for you, in your place. And so I fear some of us are very religious. And religion's the enemy of the gospel. Religion's about what you do for God. The gospel's about what God did for you and being proud of what Christ did for you, not what you do for Christ. Religion leads to arrogance and judgmentalism and self-righteousness and pride. But the truth is that we are all just as needy as this widow. And we are all just as spiritually dirty as a leper, all of us. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. It's not, I've said this a thousand times, it's not like there's a group of, of good guys and there's a group of bad guys. No, there's a group of bad guys and there's Jesus. We're all in the bad guy camp. All in there together. Every single one of us. And He redeems some of us and He takes and puts us in the Jesus camp, we're still not good in ourselves. We're still sinners. We're just forgiven sinners. And so there should never be any type of pride rising up in us and we become the publican who's like, praise the Lord, I'm not like this guy. And we continue to beat our chest, have mercy on me, God of sinners. And then even for some of us, we may be over here and be like, man, Joe's hammering those religious folks. That's great today. You're just doing the same thing that the publican did. You're just playing the same game with a different ball. Thank God I'm not like that self-righteous guy. Thank God I'm not like, like, like that. You know, you're doing the same thing. It's all of us crying, have, beating our breasts, have mercy on me, God. In His grace, He provides for us just like He did for the widow. 
And in his grace, he heals us and cleanses us, just like he did for the leper. And he does it while we were, the Bible tells us, yet sinners. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were yet enemies of God, Jesus laid down his life on the cross in our place as a substitute for my sin and your sin, for my pride and your pride, for my guilt and your guilt, for my self-righteousness and your self-righteousness. He laid it down and he suffered and died and bore the wrath of God in my place that I owe. And he did it out of love and mercy. And so, friends, while it is absolutely true, and I do want you to walk home understanding that we are more sinful and flawed than we could possibly ever realize. Friends, at the same time, quoting Tim Keller, we are also more loved and accepted in Christ than we could ever imagine. In Christ, you are forgiven. And that's a drop mic moment as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you come for us in Christ who are spiritually blind and we're blind to our own blindness. We're spiritually captive and we are blind to our captivity. We don't recognize the tentacles that sin has wrapped all around us. They're invisible to us. Father, would you give us eyes to see them? Holy Spirit, would you illumine our hearts to recognize them? And would you inflame our souls to repent? Over and over and over. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Father, I cry out that we as a church would not keep this message to ourselves, but make it known there is freedom, there is sight, there is a release from captivity. There is healing. There is hope. There is constancy. There is an anchor that holds. There is a rock that is unmovable. And there is joy that can be found there that cannot be shaken. It cannot be destroyed. In our humanness, it may wobble a little bit, but it cannot be destroyed because it didn't come from us came from you. Would you help us to grab hold of that? Because if we're in Christ, you know that you've grabbed hold of us. In these moments, Lord, if I pray by your spirit, you would bring us to repentance of our spiritual pride, of our ethnic pride. Because no matter how strong we may feel, we are more sinful than we realize. We thank you for your forgiveness in Christ.